Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak. is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Waybreak Podcast e commerce leaders, the marketing podcast for D2C and retail brands to learn what's working in marketing from the people actually doing it. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Waybreak. Waybreak is the email and CRM agency to leading brands. We help companies scale their email and CRM programs with more segmentation, personalization, utilizing best-in-class strategy, creative, and execution from design to coding to QA, all the way back to your reporting so that you have insights that you can take action on both with our team and with the rest of your team to continue to grow your brand in 2023. If you want to learn more about partnering with us, you can do so at wavebreak.co. That's W-A-V-E-B-R-E-A-K.co. Today on the show, I'm really excited. I'm joined by Joe Anhalt, VP of Marketing at Koyo, the luxury shoe brand. We chat about everything from promotion strategy, Koyo being a brand that didn't discount much before and this year had their best Black Friday ever. We talk about positioning, how you can stand out in a crowded marketplace, We talk about how you can build an in-house performance marketing team to efficiently scale paid search and social again, as well as future ideas for growth in 2023. Really great conversation with Joe. It was great to have him on the podcast, and I'm excited for you to be able to listen to it too. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. Same. Thanks uh, thanks for having me, Dylan. Yeah, I'm excited to, to dig in. You're a full stack marketer. You've been doing this for over a decade with D2C brands and you even have some experience on the marketplace side, and I'm really excited to dive into that, talk about what you're seeing now, because as you know, the world of marketing has evolved a lot over the last couple of years. It's always evolving, but I feel like mm-hmm. it's evolving even faster. But uh, before we dive into marketing, what's working, what you're seeing, uh, tell us about Koyo, how you got to the brand, 
and uh, yeah, get us up to speed. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Koyo, it's a luxury footwear brand uh, based in New York City. Um, we manufacture everything in Italy, uh, but the brand was founded by um, yeah two two Wharton alumni who left their consulting and banking jobs to uh, start a, a footwear startup uh, because their hometowns in Germany, uh, the footwear culture was a massive uh, part of their lives, and they wanted to uh, provide a uh, a really high quality product to American customers that uh, was a bit more, I think, like business friendly, right? So uh, a sneaker, uh, if, if you're picturing not like Jordans or Air Force Ones or anything like that, but think more like common projects, uh, dressed to casual sneakers, something you can wear to the office, to happy hour, to a wedding, things of that nature. Very versatile for the entrepreneur, the the business person, the uh, the tech startup person. And more fashion conscious, uh, not not so much fashion forward. Again, optimizing for timeless and, and elegant silhouettes, things like that. Um, and I I, fo- I found them when I first moved to New York about five years ago, and uh, had been working in the DDC space. And uh, uh, my former company uh, actually had mutual investors with Coyo, and that's how they popped up on my radar. And uh, literally just sent them a, a cold email, uh, Chris and Johannes, the founders, and told them I'd been following the brand for about a year and uh, was really intrigued by what they were doing. And right place, right time, their former head of marketing had just left to start his own company. And they were like, hey, this this could be a fit. Like, let's grab coffee. Let's chat. And uh, yeah, the, the rest is history, as they say. And uh, been there about four and a half years Uh through a pandemic, uh, through a lot of product changes, through a lot of iterations, um, a lot of life cycles of our customer, and uh, it's it's definitely been been a journey, um, and it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. What stage was the brand when you got started with it? <clears throat> Obviously, you were a fan, seeing it from afar. Mm-hmm. But then, like, did you think it was bigger than it was because you were seeing the product, <laughs> or like what? How, what yeah. was it like initially getting involved? And then, like, yeah, what was it like when you like? How many people was it when you got there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely thought it was a bit bigger uh, when I was on the outside looking in. And then very quickly, I realized, obviously, uh, that it was much a much smaller shop. So when I first had conversations with them, it was uh, Chris and Johannes and then a head of ops. And um, that's pretty much it. Uh, they had a few freelancers. Uh, they had agencies, obviously, managing you know paid social email, things like that. Um, but it was a team of, of four. Um, and at that point they still did have, uh, retail, uh, locations. They had the flagship store in, in Soho, which is still here today. And then a few pop-ups, um, <clears throat> Upper West Side, Brooklyn, and then a few scattered around the country, most notably Los Angeles, which is where we still have a, uh, a retail footprint as well. But, um, yeah, very, very startup. Everyone was doing a lot of different things. Uh, when when I jumped on, I was doing both like the the performance optimizations and also a lot of the brand work in part with uh, with Johannes. And um, that was an environment that I was very familiar with. I, I've only worked with early stage startups my entire career. I, I've never worked past that 35, 40 person mark. Um, when people say 50 to 100 people, I think that's big compared to my, my experience. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was very much that from from day one. Uh, small team wearing a lot of different hats. How do we how do we grow? How do we build this business every day? Wow, yeah, that's awesome. And that's it, it's funny. Like you know, I think we'd never guess 
how much it's like that four years of experience. What I'm trying to say is that four years of experience is really equal to probably like 20 to 40 based on everything that, yeah. that we've gone through in life and commerce. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so what was, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about like 2020 still, but I imagine mm -hmm. I do want to talk about it a little bit because you did yeah. something you said to me is that pre pandemic Koyo was a very against the promotion against any kind of mm -hmm. sales or discounting very intentional for the brand it's a luxury premium yep. brand yep. we see that all the yep. time for with d2c brands luxury brands in general um now we were just talking before i press record about your black friday sale which has lasted yeah. longer than ever would love to talk yeah. about promotion how you're viewing it um you know before we get into more nitty-gritty on the growth marketing but uh, i thought that was interesting so you know take us yeah. back to the beginning you're not discounting tell me about that yeah so we we didn't dip into this promotion cookie jar for um for quite some time and you know there were always conversations about it you know do we offer and we didn't even offer a first order discount you know the, again this is uh, this is pre-pandemic uh we never did a black friday sale we never did like uh, an inventory um sale or a um uh yeah anything like that and um, again, the, the conversation kept coming up, but we just didn't want to do that. We wanted to stand by the the pricing of our product. Not a lot of luxury firms out there do heavy discounting, and we just didn't want to get involved in in that game because, um, yeah, of a, of a rolodex of reasons. Then the pandemic hit, and our sales plummeted, like many ecom brands, uh, overnight, uh, especially in the uh, fashion space, right? Uh, we unfortunately didn't feel the winds out of our backs, like, um, you know, uh, comfy cozies or Netflix or, uh, you know, Uber Eats of the world, right? Not many people wanted $300 sneakers when they were chilling at home watching Netflix. So, uh, we had to drive demand and interest somehow. And that's when we started, uh, dipping into that promotional cookie jar. Um, also at that time we were observing that a lot of our competitors that had never been promotional started getting promotional as well. Um, so just to stay competitive with our um, with our core competition, we you know kind of came together and very quickly decided, okay, this is when we're going to start to run our first discount, run our first promotion. And, and it was literally, I think that March or April, right after the pandemic started. And obviously we saw some life come back into the brand. Um, <clears throat> and so that was the first stage of it. And then it got into, okay, we'll do a Black Friday sale that year because we know everybody else is going to. Um, and then a more traditional, I'd say, I think, promotional calendar for retail and, and luxury, uh, you know, winter sales, summer sale, and Black Friday sale. So those are our, our three core ones that we execute throughout the year. Um, and, you know, we are getting better, faster, stronger with these promotions. So if we do see a month not live up to our expectations or our, or our plan, you know, we can flip that switch if, if we want to. Right. Um, but now we're getting into that mode of, are we going too far? Right. So has the pendulum swung too far the other way? And, um, that's what, what we're still grappling with, um, every few months or so, um, at Coil. Yeah. And your cookie analogy is perfect. Like the first yeah. bite is always the greatest. The first cookie is fine. <laughs> Tastes so okay, good. Fine. Oh, yeah. Another one. Before you know it, you ate the entire Toll House package and yep. you you don't even, you're, you're a lifeless human being on a couch somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. No, I mean, that's so fascinating. I, I And I don't think this is really talked about enough 
is like the effect competitor strategies can have on you. Mm-hmm. Because as much as every, we all want to think that we're different, consumers, even ourselves as marketers, we put brands in a box, right? A hair care brand is a hair care brand. A shoe is a shoe. A leather, mm-hmm. sh- a white leather shoe is a white leather shoe. As much Absolutely. as you know, we love the brands that we love. At the end of the day, and we've seen this with our clients too. You know, if your competitor starts to go crazy, discount fifty percent off every single month, like it does impact you, uh, especially if you're a very niche product that like is super focused. Like I know Koyo mm-hmm. because I know all of the competitors of Koyo, and I know I know yep. that white leather, you know, that iconic shoe that's you know getting yep. popularity in the last few years, but um. Yeah, it's yep. such a such a fine line. What did you discover as you because obviously you're still doing it. So what did you mm-hmm. learn from promotion? Like, is it not as bad as you thought it would be? Or I'm curious, like the lessons learned there, especially since we're coming out of Black Friday now, I think it's relevant and, and, and in the middle of holiday still. But uh, yeah, what were yeah. the lessons learned from that initial promo and, and since? Yeah, no, I think the I think it's worth um, just speaking to it, even though it seems obvious in hindsight is it really does move the needle for us, right? Um, I feel like within <clears throat> e-commerce, retail, uh, even before D2C and, and e-commerce took off, the things that drove the needle the most were promotions and sales, right? Um, Black Friday existed long before e-commerce did, right? People would line up out the doors and that's where retailers, you know, these big retailers would have some of their best days um, of all time, right? So it, it does work, right? Promotions do work. And uh we, we saw that it didn't cannibalize too much of our follow-up months to that. Um, you know, obviously, we saw return rates go up a bit. Um, in terms of a cohort analysis for us, that's obviously very important. And <clears throat> something super interesting that we observed was, um, you know, even if you come in as a discount customer, let's say in November or uh, one of our sale months over the summer, um, the following month, a lot of those people would come back even at a higher rate than somebody who came in at a, a normal price point item, right? Um, oh, and so the, the repeat rate from month one to two was was much higher, even though that initial cohort was much larger because it was a, it was a sale month, right? Um, so that was really interesting to us. We thought there'd be this big drop-off of people buying for the first time in that month one. Again, month one is that sale month um, and dropping off in month two. But that didn't prove to be the case. Um, it, it actually performed uh, just as well, if not better, than than most of our cohorts in the past. Um, and and were they coming back and <clears throat> buying yeah. full price? Yep, exactly. Which wow. was a huge indicator for this being a success, right? Um, I was always so skeptical and worried that the discount shopper was not going to yield our best long term customers, right? And that is true to a certain extent. But it's a small percentage of shoppers. The the discount shopper that I'm continuing to be cautious of is the heavy discount shopper. So we have a lot of styles that are only around for maybe a season or two at most. And then we don't renew them on the shelves, essentially, right? It's like a seasonal product. Um, And if those don't sell right away, we discount those um, a bit more heavily just to get them out of our inventory. So we're talking like 50, 60, sometimes 70% off. those people, those people looking for those deep, deep discounts obviously don't yield uh, the most profitable customer, right? So, you know, the 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 Reddit people always looking for a deal, maybe people buying at 70% off and then reselling for a, a higher price point. Um, so what was really important is discount is okay, but make sure it's one of your core products, one of your best sellers, right? 
because what we found in that is just a better customer and um, people are also getting a timeless product, right? Most of our seasonal stuff is, is only, you know, literally fashionable for a few months, uh, maybe a half season or two at most, and um, people need to, to buy again. So uh, some really interesting, uh, yeah, learnings and findings after we started being a bit, a bit more promotional. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that's super interesting. I think there's so many, this is why it's like the answer to every question in marketing is like test it for your own brand because you never know. Like we've had brands that we work with increase prices and do really well. And then we have brands we work with Mm -hmm. that decrease prices and do really well, really depends on your customer, but like actually looking at the data and seeing what happens afterwards. I feel like we're obsessed with our data and we're obsessed with our dashboards, but almost only in the moment or like to report back and like, Hey, look, here's how great I am, you know, in a board meeting or leadership meeting or whatever, which is like, you know, super fun. We love doing that, but being able to like, you know, dive deeper into those cohorts. I feel like as we head into this next really version of e-commerce, that's going to be more and more important to really understand your customer, not just on a personal level, but on the data level, like you're saying, um, I mean, like to know that people are buying again. I mean, that's so fascinating despite coming Mm -hmm. in for less, which Mm -hmm. yeah, totally goes against what so many people think. Speaking Mm -hmm. of this, like, are you also scaling up discounting now to, you know, I guess new customers? Are you testing this on different segments? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Are you going back for seconds? We we've gone back for seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths since, since the pandemic. (laughs) Um, it, It was a long period for us. I mean, essentially a year and a half for us to kind of get back to, uh, I think, normal behavior in terms of customer shopping and, and things of that nature. Um, yeah, a few other things outside of let's call like the core three sales for the year, um, Black Friday, uh, winter and summer. Uh, we do also offer a first order discount. Um, so just 30 bucks off your first order, uh, which we bombard you with at the top of the funnel. Um, we have experimented with what does that mean bombard at the top of the funnel is that like purely email and text or this is also top of funnel facebook and other channels primarily primarily email and text yeah okay um on-site pop-ups as well um starting to think maybe we're getting a little bit too aggressive and a little bit too pushy there but again we've seen that that it works for us um we've experimented a little bit with retention efforts through email and sms as well of you know, we, we've seen you buy before, but you haven't bought in three to six months. How can we capture um, some of those people and get them back to the site and get them buying again, uh, again, through a discount? We haven't seen that be as successful as the three big sale points that I already mentioned. So um, just continuing to to refine the, uh, I guess, kind of, yeah, repeat purchase flow for, for us. But um, yeah, I guess the big thing there is we also are starting to do the the first order discounts, which which has gone really well for us. Um, something that I'm excited to experiment with in the new year is we are kicking off a test with this tool called Fondue. Um, so they oh, yeah. power cash back as opposed to um, uh, yeah a percentage discount, uh, which which I'm really curious to explore because uh, the data that they're showing us is that I think only like 50% of people actually redeem that cash back. So you essentially are acquiring uh, the same customers, but only, um, yeah, you're, you're saving a lot on margins, right? Because people aren't even using this cash back, which is, which is a huge win for us as we're continuing to be hyper-focused on profitability and, and growing this business. 
Um, so I'm really curious to experiment with that in, in the new year and just testing different offers. You know, we, we did the AB testing, you know, $30 for 15% off. We found a dollar amount worked. Um, but since then we, we really haven't gotten as creative with, um, with discounts or offers or promotions. So this cashbacks, um, opportunity, I'm, I'm really excited about it and fingers crossed that it works. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. I've, I've spoken with Oren at Fondue before. And yeah, it's a he's great. Really interesting model with like, you know, how much people actually collect the cash back on the back end, yep. how much turn it into yep. store credit versus get an Amazon gift card. If anybody wants more info on Fondue, just shoot me an email um, mm-hmm. or reach out via the website and I can get you connected with them. But um, yeah, I'm curious. You'll have to let me know how the test goes because they have some interesting data on everything. And um, yeah, I'm curious how it'll work for you. I'm not surprised Same. that $30 outperformed the 15%. Typically, I mean, through a lot of tests we run, it's like whatever number seems bigger typically yep. wins. So if yep. it's 10% and that's 300 bucks off, the 300 bucks off is going to win versus yeah. the 10% off. Although once again, like we were saying earlier, sometimes you're blown away and it's like, wow, people actually really care about 10% instead. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you got to test it, but I'm not surprised that one either. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, another big learning for us is we always tried different um, percentage tiers or got really cute with the offers. And at the end of the day, it's really you know, try not to outthink yourself, outsmart yeah. yourself. Customers are intelligent. They've been through this again for decades. Just provide the best and easiest promotion for them and let them do the work. Um, uh, yeah, we, we've tried to do different tiers. We've tried to do, you know, 20 to 50% off and kind of um, spend more and get more in return. And at the end of the day, what works best is, you know, 20% off site wide, you know, as, as simple as that. Keep it keep in black and white. Um, don't try to get cute with anything. Yeah. Less is more. I mean, you end up just confusing yeah. people. I mean, I would love to get my hands on old Navy's emails. Cause those they're like, <laughs> if you printed them out, I think they'd be like 18 pages long. And I would love to like yeah. AB test, you know, including 40 offers versus one and yeah. see what would happen. Uh, old yeah. Navy CRM team, if you're listening, hit me up, let's talk. But, uh, I want to talk to you because like 2022 has been like a really interesting year. 2021, we had iOS 15 this year, or sorry, iOS yep. 14 and 15. We didn't really have that this year, but we felt all of the, I guess, you yes. know, the after effects of it. Yeah. Sure. What, how have you been focused? I know you're an omni-channel marketer. You're thinking across yep. every, every different channel. What, uh, how have you been thinking and optimizing marketing this year? And like, what are you thinking about as we head into 2023? Yeah, so the, the biggest change for us within the iOS update was we moved away from agency relationships to in-house uh, paid acquisition. So we were outsourcing to agencies our paid social uh, and, and paid search efforts. Um, and we started to see the performance decline. Um, we, we obviously started to spend more because our business started to grow. And uh, we were in a you know percentage of spend uh, commitment with them, which just got way too expensive for us. So that was a huge win for us. Um, just literally hiring somebody who is uh, a plus player come in and be able to optimize our campaigns and creative all day, every day. Um, and from that, we've seen uh, from 21 to 22, our MER go from three and a half to four and a half. Um, wow. And we've been so much more efficient and we've only spent maybe uh 20, 30% more this year than last year. Uh, and we've grown significantly as a business. Um, oh, wow. This year we'll probably grow 40% year on year. Um, so we've grown and we've gotten much more efficient. Um, and again, I think that's just because we actually have somebody 
day in and day out going through these ad accounts um, on social, on search, uh, experimenting with new channels, um, you know, some progr programmatic email stuff, uh, TikTok, which has been a really challenging nut for us to crack. Um, but this year it was, it was all about efficiency and, and getting our house in order. And we have that down really, really well, which I'm excited about. For next year, it's, it's going to be obviously continuing to optimize. Um, it's, it's a ruthless game because you have to be doing it all day, every day. Um, and oftentimes what I've noticed is you don't really find like big wins. It's, it's incremental wins, uh, but those start to add up, right? So I want to challenge my team this year to continue to focus on those incremental wins, the testing, the optimizations, um, but also thinking, you know, what are some bigger wins that we can go after? Is it maybe sinking $200,000 into TV and doing a big creative shoot, right? Um, is it maybe spending quite a bit on a creator or an influencer, right? Um, again, maybe like 25, 50K, which these are big numbers for us. Again, we're, we're still relatively small, um, while still maintaining those, uh, those good habits of iterating and, and optimizing creative and um, bidding and, and things like that and, and audience targeting. Is there any way we can take bigger shots this coming year? Because again, this past year, it was all about uh, getting our house in order, uh, setting up uh, frameworks for our teams and uh, becoming efficient, which I feel like we've we've trimmed so much fat this past year. Um, and so we're like super lean now. So, okay, how can we continue to run lean, but uh, experiment with some bigger shots on goal, I guess you could say. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Recharge. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen your brand's relationship with your customers and make it easy for consumers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with the subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash e-commerce leaders. And now back to the show. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to touch on a few of those topics. Bringing acquisition, customer acquisition in-house. I think that's mm -hmm. really smart to do. To be honest, our fastest growing clients <coughs> pretty much exclusively run all yep. their paid search and social in-house. Like even the brands who are yeah. That are doing, you know, yeah. 100 million plus, like they've done it as soon as they figured out to do that, like they've grown yeah. rapidly. It's a big unlock for sure. Yeah. But it's also extremely difficult. And I think like super daunting for a lot of people because it's like, you know, your go-to is like, mm -hmm. yeah, let's work with the agency. It's just normal. You know, they see other accounts, all that. And I, I think there's benefits to that for sure. But how did you go about in-housing? Is it a yeah. paid team? Is it a paid individual or what is that? Paid individual. Through, I guess, what was the yeah, thought yeah, process? Yeah. We're paying these fees. Let's find someone. How did you find them? That, so no, yeah, exactly. Um, we we started to uh, ramp up spend on on social and, and search, and the fees just started getting way too high. 
at that point we were doing, I think 10 or 12% of ad spend. Um, and as you start spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, uh, that starts to add up obviously. And it's like, wait a second, I could hire somebody full time and it'd be cheaper than what we're doing right now in, in agency fees. Uh, and the, the math is quite simple to, to figure out. Um, and at that point, once we figured out the, the math, it's like, okay, let's go find somebody. Um, and so working with recruiters through our own network, uh, we found somebody with, uh, agency experience and also, um, uh, brand experience, you know, working internally at a brand. And he also had uh, a fashion background as well. So it was this perfect mix that, um, that we found and, uh, brought him in, uh, gave him a few months of data, kind of told us, Hey, what's working, what's not working. And he, uh, he blew us out of the water and we went from, again, a paid social agency, paid search agency, affiliate agency to all three of those now being run by him uh, each day. Uh, one caveat there is we did switch um, affiliate agencies, uh, but we did get a cheaper rate there uh, as well. Um, and uh, again, just having somebody all day, every day in these in these platforms, in these channels, uh, thinking about testing and experimentation um, is, is huge. But uh, yeah, simply put, it was like, this is too expensive for us. Let's hire a full-time employee, find that person, bring them in and, uh, and boom. Um, yeah, it was, awesome. it was a big one for us. Yeah. I'm glad it worked out. What, uh, how many people did you end up interviewing to hire the person you did or lucky? Um, lucky yeah, I one? think actually I'm thinking back now, this was, uh, almost a year ago at this point, I remember talking to somebody on the phone, um, and he accepted the role and got him set up with a company email. And then like a week later, he's like, Oh, my current company matched the offer and then some, sorry. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Oh, no. So it's kind of back to the For board. anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, as a retention mechanism, like nobody's ever able to pull that off except when it's like, you're trying to hire someone. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think we had a, a, a group of five solid co- candidates that we got through awesome. to the final uh, three rounds. And uh, it, it worked out. It always works out in the end though. You know, you, totally. you, you feel like, yeah. And, and, what was even better about this scenario is the original person that we hired, uh, they were based in Utah and we were going to do fully remote. Um, this other person that we hired was based in New York and now comes into the office with us three days a week, um, which I'm a big advocate for uh, hybrid. Um, you know, there is certain flexibility for people to work remotely more frequently than we used to, but um, having that in-person face-to-face being able to just like shout across the room be like, Hey, Josh, like what's happening on Facebook, right? The same way I'm like, Hey, Paige, how is, how are our customers today? She's our head of CX. Um, and I always ask these like questions, like what's happening on Facebook? What's, wh- what are our customers like today? Right. So I can get that like immediate feedback. Um, so it was, it was a win-win for us, but, um, it was, it was a process for sure. It, it definitely took some time. Absolutely. Yeah. I know there's just something about like remote work is awesome and being able to work wherever like you just want to like, you know, jet off and like have nobody know, you know, oh, sure. keep working. But at the same time, there's just something about that feeling, especially like during this time of year in Q4, when you're like down to the wire and you're, you're in the office late and you got, you got yeah. a project you're working on that you got to get done. It just feels way better to do that in an office, even if it's like an office in New York with no windows, <laughs> like some of my yeah. past Q4s, there's like no windows. You don't even know what time of day it is, 
but it's just yeah. like you just live off that energy. It is, it is, it is nice. That's awesome that you guys have hybrid and and that you're the yeah. person who ended up working out. I mean, it always ends up working out. I mean, listen, if somebody's gonna yep. resend their offer like that at the end, it's like, do you really want that person who's not all in to be part of the team anyway? Uh, not really. Yeah. In the moment, it sucks nope. though, but that's yeah. awesome. It worked out. Yeah, yeah, very, very pleased with that. Um, and back to your original question, yeah, this year it's again uh, with with paid. You know, can we? scale TikTok? Is there something else that we need to be trying with uh, creative testing and experimentation? Um, do we need to go big on a creator or an influencer? Because we see those channels start to perform a bit better for us, especially YouTube and more of these, um, you know, uh, video platforms and just like the high visual platforms for us obviously work really well because we're, we're a fashion brand at the end of the day, we're trying to sell a lifestyle. It's, you can get a pair of white sneakers literally anywhere um, on the block. So we have to communicate this, this perceived value, kind of what our hook is, things like that. And how and, do you do um, that? What is the, what is the Koyo <laughs> hook? I know you touched on it a little bit in the beginning, yeah. but you know, this just made me think like, I think Koyo does a great job of it for people who are unfamiliar. How do you do that? Yeah. So the, the pillars that we like to discuss are the, the craftsmanship and the quality again, really leaning back on our uh, made in Italy approach, which at this point, there are quite a few competitors in the space, but um, that doesn't mean we can't own it, right? We can be the made in Italy footwear uh, brand if we want to be, right? It just takes uh, dedication to being persistent with that messaging and just like hitting people over the head with it every step of the way, right? It can't just be a paid ad. It has to be paid ad, welcome email, welcome SMS, reminder email, on-site, on the PLP, on the PDP, in the post-purchase, you start to line up all these touch points and that's 30, 40 places where you have to repeat this made in Italy um, kind of value proposition. So it's made in Italy, which we bucket kind of craftsmanship and quality. It's the timeless and minimal design of of our product. And then something that we've been working on the past 12, 18 months is our uh, sustainability positioning. Uh, So we are trying to work with materials that are very least, uh, at the very least, um, certified gold status by the Leather Working Group, LWG Gold. Um, we have a full line of our best-selling product, the Capri, that is uh, sourcing leather materials from a regenerative farm. Uh, regenerative is a word you're gonna start to hear a lot more within um, food space, probably primarily, but also in fashion. Um, that's kind of taking sust- sustainability to, to the next level. Um, happy to t- talk more about that if we want to get into the the nitty gritty. Um, but those are kind of the, the the core items that we're trying to communicate across uh, the entire the entire funnel. It's that Italian craftsmanship. It's the the timeless and, and minimal designs, and then it's how do we communicate this sustainability messaging, which is is really challenging uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, also, a lot of people are doing this as well, right? Trying to understand. How can we have a seat at the table at this sustainability table, right? Um, you think of like the Allbirds and who else does sustainability really well in kind of like the, the DTC space. Um, anyway, I feel like everyone has their point yeah. of view on it, right? So how do we continue refining that for, for ourselves? No, that's awesome. And, and that's great to break down like how you differentiate as a brand. It's definitely getting more difficult, but I feel like now- For that- sure marketing is stabilizing also it's like becoming this thing where it's like you actually have to be great at marketing now you can't just yeah. you know get lucky off the back of one <clears throat> campaign or one skew you have to be 
great at brand and and, and great at marketing, just kind of like you used to be back in the day when you were like selling to a department store. Like there's only so many shelves in the store that they could put you on. Yeah. And uh, I'm yeah. really excited. If you're good, this is an awesome time. If you're not, it's like you got to start, you know, building that team, surrounding yourself with the right people so you can do that. But I think it's a really exciting time. Yeah. And actually one, one point that I want to speak to on the differentiator factor is, you know, objectively, Koyo isn't hyper differentiated from a lot of our competitors, right? Um, a lot of our competitors are made in, in Italy. A lot of our competitors are, uh, you know, have timeless silhouettes and, and clean, uh, clean designs. Um, a lot of them work with some sustainable materials. Um, but with, with that said, like we can still outperform you uh, as, as a business, right? We can continue to own these pillars more so than you, right? We can refine our marketing funnel better than you can, right? And we can be persistent and continue, I, I wanted to say badgering, but not badgering our customers, but uh, just reminding them that like, hey, we are the industry leader within these categories, with, within these kind of pillars of differentiation and uh, value propositions, right? It just takes, it takes time, it takes persistence. And what I used to think is that we needed a stronger hook, right? We needed a bigger differentiator, but my point of view on that is starting to change. And I, I, I'm, I'm starting to value the, the persistence and the ability to refine that message and to do it over years and years and years and years of time, right? We're, we're not going to be a viral success story, an overnight success story. Like I've been here four and a half years and it's been a grind, right? It, it's going to take time. It's going to take day after day, reminding our customers of, of what we do best and, and refining that pitch. And um, that persistence, I think, will win out long term versus some of these kitschy or really strong hook brands that uh, are a flash in the pan, perhaps, right? Or are, are too differentiated, right? So that's been something that I've been yeah observing and uh, just reflecting on over the past, like, six, 12 months is, again, the longevity of your story. You know, can you withstand the test of time, essentially? And the test of time usually boils down to these more general value propositions, quality, craftsmanship, design, timelessness across any product category. Totally. That's that's how it's built. But nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people have the patience to wait, yep. like even you think yep. of like the top luxury brands like yeah. Hermes or anybody under LVMH, it's like these companies, their story is like, we've been around for hundreds of years, <laughs> making yeah. the best products for hundreds of years. Yeah, It's like, nobody wants yeah. to wait. It's like, maybe we should all just go buy companies from like 1867 that are defunct <laughs> by the trademark. Yeah, and then use yeah. It. But still, you still gotta grow and you still need a brand recognition and everything. I think that's a great lesson, yeah. especially in D2C and e-commerce. It's like, everything is so instant. Your ads are up and within minutes, you can get a sale. Within minutes of sending an email, mm -hmm. you can get multiple sales. So it's hard to be like patient and play the long game, especially in the last For couple sure. of years of venture capital when yep. everyone's been raising, yep. you know, ton of money <laughs> at crazy valuations. Hard to stay yep. focused, but that's what wins in the end always. Yeah. And I think, I think you bring up a great point about venture. And I think if you are a founder and let's say you're starting to raise money right now, well, hopefully not right now because it's not the best environment, but if you if you have a great relationship with your board and maybe you can realign your expectations uh, you know obviously the traditional venture 
return is what, like five to 10 years, if you can stretch that to maybe 15 or 20 years, right? And just understand that this is a new approach that we want to take as a DDC brand, right? It's it's not going to be this up and to the right in three to five years. It's going to be 10 to 15 years, right? And I think if you just have an honest conversation with your with your investors about that, um, they'll respond to that. And, and I think those conversations will start to be had more frequently. Um, again, especially as we're coming out of the, the pandemic and this huge e-commerce boom, we're just not going to see those returns as quickly um, as, as we once did. But uh, totally hear you. And that, that's the big challenge is how do you balance you know, steady growth with those expectations of your investors and your board to have quicker growth? Um, it's, it's really challenging. I, I yeah, don't want to under or overstate that, excuse me. No, it's definitely an extremely fine line. Um, I think it is. Yeah. I think investors are, they're definitely, well, because like the whole market cares about profitability today in a way that it yeah. didn't even, even last year, you know, I think like it's, yeah. funny. it's like people are like, yeah, profitability is king. They've been talking about that for like really since 2019, you know, it's not just yeah. like a multiple of your revenue, yeah. but, but yeah. now it actually matters because the money doesn't exist like it used to. So you can't just yeah. raise based on revenue and like, you got to make your existing yep. revenue and that's what make your existing revenue sustain your business, which is why we did unfortunately yeah see a lot of brands, you know, fold over the last year. And I'm sure we'll continue to see some, but yeah, it's really important mm -hmm. to actually be profitable. And even if Extremely. it needs growing slower, uh, which is yeah. really, you know, difficult to do if you don't have the right investors, but I think they're becoming more, they get it now, you know, they've seen enough, yeah. talked to enough portfolio companies, seen enough companies yeah. in the marketplace get, you know, caught in a tough place right in between rounds, you know, really unlucky. I feel for all those founders and employees at those Same. brands. But, uh, you know, we just got to soldier on and keep doing our best and learn from what they didn't do correctly. And, you know, even learn based yep. on what they did. There's some great brands who didn't do too well over the last few years that still, you know, built brands that are known yeah. and loved regardless. Um, but yeah, no, it's a different time for sure. And um, you're going to have to be, even though I feel like, you know, <laughs> last year and the year before, it's like you had to be on it. It's like you still got to be on it. There's no, oh, there's yeah. no coasting into yeah, the new year, but. No days off in uh, in retail, e-commerce, D2C. Zero, zero days off. Especially not Black Friday and you know, oh my definitely gosh. keep that laptop yeah. on standby on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right yeah. next to the plate of turkey or whatever yeah. non-turkey yeah. vegetable made product that you're consuming. Um, yeah. Anyway, Joe, it's been great having you on the show. We'll have to, once you run some of these crazy, mark I shouldn't say crazy, some of these creative marketing experiences, Yes, creative. Yes. Experiments. I almost said experience us. Although that sounds really cool too. Like maybe someone should make an agency. The creative marketing experience agency. Throw us, throw us half a million dollars. I'll test about throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, Banksy style, and uh Banksy we'll let you know what like sticks. That. Maybe that's my next thing. I don't know. Anyway, Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll have to have you on again. Uh, as we start to wrap up here, where can we go to learn more about you, learn more about Koyo and everything else you've got going on? And you know, we'll continue to yeah. launch and then you uh if, if you're in the market for a new pair of shoes or boots, uh, koyo.co, K-O-I-O dot C-O. Um, and if you want to follow me around the internet, uh, Twitter is probably the best place. It's um, at Joe from normal. That's my, my Twitter handle. Nice. You got the threads going. I'm trying to put myself out there a little bit more. It's crazy. I, I just started dipping my toe into this D2C Twitter community and it is, uh, it is fierce. You, you've really got to be on your game and, ready to tweet multiple times a day, but 
honestly, I, I've learned a ton from my peers, and uh, there have been a few meetups in New York that I haven't been able to to get to yet. But uh, it's comforting because we're all in this together, um, and it's uh, it's it's fun to to learn and and see that everyone else is <laughs> grinding through just like you are. I know it's it's really interesting. It'd be amazing if we had like Twitter for like you know whoever. I don't even know, invented like peanut butter back in the day or something. Cause I feel like that's the equivalent yeah. now. It's like the people who are creating the brands that's in the so future funny. are just like tweeting everything like, Hey, Truly. you know, why is this software down or this landing page or whatever, not working. And it's like, yeah. you know, brands are going to continue to grow and be iconic someday. And then at the same time, it's like, you get so deep into Twitter. You're like, we have to change everything. And it's like, I know, you know, yeah. midnight on a Saturday and you're like, I got to go to bed. Oh, just, I just got to yeah. keep scrolling one more thread. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. I have a lot of hate relationship there. with it. There are some same, good ones. And then same. some of them I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm not getting smart. After a while on Twitter, you feel like you're not getting smarter. You're like, do yeah. I really need to know? Yeah. Like, it's like the ultimate listicles. Cause you know, my biggest pet peeve is the promoted posts because it's always the most engagement. Oh, yeah. And it's like five ways yeah. to drink water to increase your productivity by 390% a thread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, but there's yeah. good stuff. It, it takes it takes a lot of discipline. And yeah, there is a lot of good stuff. You just gotta know who who to follow, who not to follow. Um, anyway, I'm still totally. dipping my toe back into it. It's, it's been a good experiment for the past, I don't know, three or four months, but uh, follow yeah, Joe. It's been good. He's legit. Source me. Appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. that. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks so much for coming on. We'll link up your Twitter and everything down in the show notes below. I really appreciate you taking the time through in the, this busy Q4 um, of another incredibly wild year and uh, mm -hmm. wish you the best in 2023. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Dylan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at waybreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.